all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Dear Paige and Maggie and Keely and Braylon and Liam and Emma and Sophia, you all were clearly born around the same time with those names. Paige, Maggie, Keely, Braylon, Liam, Emma, and Sophia, on this, the day of your confirmation, I have decided to write you a letter instead of a sermon, though for what it's worth, most sermons are basically letters written to the church anyway, and because this is the event of your confirmation, it is also a letter for everyone in church, for God is confirming all of our faith just as much as God is confirming yours. Therefore, let me begin in a very scriptural way. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no way you can possibly comprehend what is about to happen to you. Part of the life of faith is coming to grips with an adventure that even though we know not where we are going, we do at least know who is with us along the way, and that who has a name. His name is Jesus. It's 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, 50 days after Easter. The disciples are all in one place together. They had witnessed their Lord ascend to rule at the right hand of God the Father. They were rebuked for keeping their eyes in the sky because they had work to do. And without knowing what would happen next, they were confronted by the wild and reckless Holy Spirit. Pentecost is all about the unknowability of God. Whenever we think we know what's going to happen, whenever we congratulate ourselves for finally figuring out the divine, God pulls one over on us and we're left scratching our heads. It's the sound like the rush of a mighty wind. It fills the disciple. Divided tongues as of fire appear among them, and they are able to speak in other languages as the Spirit gives them ability. For me, that's not even the best part of the story. The best part's what happened next. Because after the Holy Spirit shows up, they fumble out of their gathering place, and the crowds who encounter them outside accuse them of being drunk. And it's only nine o'clock in the morning. They are accused of being drunk because they are indeed stumbling around in a new strange world and they have no idea what has happened or what will happen next. I hope, you confirmands, leave from church today staggering around like those first disciples. In fact, I hope that's how everybody leaves every single Sunday because when the Spirit encounters us, we can't help but walk away altered. Those early disciples, the ones who walked the roads of Galilee with Jesus, the ones who spoke with tongues of fire, they were compelled to tell the good news to all who would hear it because it was the difference that made all the difference in their lives. Now, through your confirmation, we have bombarded you with all kinds of things, scripture and creeds, tradition, prayers, denominationalism, sacraments, mission. You have been exposed to all the parts of the church that make the church the church. But above all, in confirmation, you have been taught the faith, but it is only the beginning. Learning the faith is like learning to speak a new language. You can read all the books in the world about it, but you can't do it until you do it. And just like with language, you can't learn it without other people, without practice. So a few months ago, one of you accosted me in one of the hallways here at the church. You should have more respect for your elders, even though they're only 34 and so much younger than the age of United Methodists. One of you accosted me and said, Pastor Taylor, hands on your hips. 
How can you tell the difference between the voice of God speaking to you and your gut speaking to you? I mean, pastors dream about getting questions like this. What a perfect question. It's a perfect question because, frankly, it's the question all of us have all the time, and it's so good because the answer is staring us in the face every single Sunday. Whatever it means to be Christian, it at least involves the discovery of friends we did not know that we had. You see, church is the last vestige of a place where we willfully gather together with people who think and speak and act differently than we do. Now, you can encounter different people at the grocery store. Of course you can. But you don't have to pray for those people. You can encounter different people at school or on the ball field, but you don't have to share bread and cup with them. In church, we are bonded and binded to each other. You know, when we started doing confirmation and I asked you to tell me where each of you went to school, I was kind of bewildered by the fact that none of you go to school together, except for the two of you who are forced to go to school together because you're sisters. But none of you go to school together. That's really, really odd. Because in every other part of our life, it's, it's where we go to school or where we work or what, what team we're on. That's what binds us with our friends. But you, you only know each other because of Jesus. And that's not just true for you. That's true for all of us. The only thing all of us here have in common is Jesus Christ. And that's important. It's very important because the only way any of us can ever hold fast to the promises of Scripture is through a community that we call church. In order to hear the promises of God, we need someone to speak those promises to us over and over again, particularly when we feel like we can't believe them or that for some reason they're no longer true. It's why I stand up here just about every week and say, God loves you. In spite of all the reasons God shouldn't love you, God loves you. I say that every week because the noise of the world can be very, very deafening, trying to tell you what to believe and what to think and who you really are, but it will never, ever compete with the wild, rushing wind of the Spirit, all those languages that rise up for the gospel because those words tell us who we really are and whose we are. In life, we are habituated by many languages, like the language of literature, the books we read, they, they tell us how to be in the world. We're habituated by the language of baseball, the language of dance, the language of music. They all form us and shape us in ways seen and unseen. But today, on Pentecost, we are reminded that our very first language is the language of faith, and that before we are anything else, we are Jesus people. So the only way to really tell the difference between whether God is speaking to us or we're listening to our gut is by sharing it with other people and having it confirmed by them. I grew up in the church. I felt God calling me to ministry. It's not like I woke up one day and said, oh, this is true. I'm going to be a United Methodist pastor. I had to go talk to other people and say, do you think this is true? Pray for me. I need your help. That's what the church is for. Now, we told you over and over again during the season of confirmation that baptism is God's way of saying yes to us, and confirmation is our way of saying yes back to God. But the simplicity of that sentence betrays the confounding nature of confirmation. Saying yes to God means a lot. It means being caught up in God's story in the world. It means receiving friends you never knew you had. It means fumbling around in the dark, hoping the light will show you the way. And even though each of you, in just a few minutes, will be confirmed individually, confirmation can only take place with and by other people. The same is true for our sacraments. You can't baptize yourself. You can't give communion to yourself. 
it needs to be done to you by someone else. Which is just another way of saying we only learn what it means to be Christian by watching other Christians and acting like them. To be Christian means to be together, which of course isn't easy, particularly because as Christians we believe in telling the truth, even to the people we love. Now, that might not seem or sound like much, but I was trying to think of a way this week to convey that to all of you and to everyone here at the church. How can we think about the, the challenge of, of being a Christian? And I realized that Tom Holland, he of Spider-Man fame, has a quote for me to use. Tom Holland says, I personally think that if something's not a challenge, there's no point in doing it because you're not going to learn very much. Sophia, that is for you. <laughs> Tom Holland is right. Also, I can't believe I just said that in a sermon in church. Tom Holland is right. If something's not a challenge, there's no point in doing it. Being a Christian will probably be the greatest challenge of your life. Not because it comes with all sorts of rules and expectations, but because it runs so counter to everything else from the world. The world worships the first, the greatest, the found, the big, the alive. God comes for the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the dead. The world runs by destruction and deception, the kingdom of God runs by mercy. The world is overflowing with bad news. Jesus comes to bring good news. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, the tall, the small, the old, the young, the good, the bad. It's not because we've earned it. It's not because Jesus was finally pleased with all our acts of goodness and all of our faith. The Holy Spirit is poured out because we need it. And we still need it. It is my deepest hope and prayer that throughout your lives, you hear good news. You hear things like, you are part of an adventure that is made possible by God's grace. You have a place in God's church no matter what you do or leave undone. You are loved by God and there ain't nothing you can do about it. You know, when we went on our confirmation retreat to Altamans, there was a considerable amount of content that we had to cover. We had to explore the theological proclamation of the Trinity. We had to tell the whole story of the Bible. We had so many things to do, and chances are you're not going to remember any of it, and that's okay. It's okay because the life of faith takes a lifetime, but even though you won't remember much of that content, I do hope you remember the feeling the feeling of being together, of going on a walk as the sun was setting and being quiet and silent with God, of laughing hysterically at the dinner table with every new revelation about the people sitting next to you. Do you remember when we were sitting there and we found out, I won't say who, three people on our confirmation retreat had spent time in in-school suspension? One of them, in fact, was the pastor of this church. I hope you remember the feeling of sharing food and laughing with each other. I hope you remember the feeling of singing songs by the campfire, of playing mafia, of sharing bread and cup by the waterfall. You see, those, those are the marks of a Christian. Not a list of good deeds that we can do and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Not perfect attendance in church on Sunday mornings. Being a Christian is about being together. Being together is what makes possible being Christian. And you don't even have to take my word for it, even though I'm right, because it's what Scripture says. On the day of Pentecost, one of those seemingly drunk disciples got up to preach, and afterward, 3,000 people welcomed the message and joined the way. 
Scripture says they devoted themselves because of God's Spirit to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You know, people often assume that the church's primary business is to get people out of their badness and into a life of goodness, but that's not what we're here to do. If it happens, well done, church, you did something, but that's not our job. The church's job is to proclaim grace, it's to tell the story to offer invitations to the cosmic bash we call the kingdom of God. Because God's love does not depend on what we do or what we're like. There is nothing, and I mean nothing we can do to make God love us any more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us any less. God doesn't care whether we're sinners or saints, because God doesn't give us what we deserve. God, in fact, always gives us more than we deserve. God is a shepherd who never stops looking for the one lost sheep. God is a parent who is always looking down the road for the prodigal and looking for any excuse to throw a party. God is a sower who keeps scattering seed no matter the cost. So, dear confirmands, I hope you see and know and believe that the language of faith is surprising. There might even come a day when you find yourself surprised that you are indeed a Christian. But you need not be surprised the God who raised Jesus from the dead is full of surprises. Just look at all of us. Look at you. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.